0: Now entering Nerdist.com.
1: Mission Log A Roddenberry Star Trek Podcast, Episode 44 The Trouble with Tribbles.
0: Hello, friends, and welcome to another fur-filled edition of the show that goes where no show has gone before. Well, not in the exact same way anyway. It's Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm
2: John Champion. And you know the score, dear listeners. Each week, we study an
0: individual episode of Star Trek to figure out just what the heck is going on. What are the important points? What are the messages, morals, and meanings? And does the whole ball of fur stand the test of time? Remember,
2: you can play along with us by watching every episode, and I do mean every episode, in order. You can watch on DVD or Blu-ray, you can even stream it from Netflix or Amazon. However you choose, we're here for you, digging deep
0: into Star Trek lore. No, I don't want to give stuff away, but today, we got Tribbles. Trouble with Tribbles. Before we get to that, though, we want to hear from you. Because otherwise, it's just us talking to us, and who needs that? Call us, email us, leave us a message on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. The handle is Mission Log Pod. That handle again, Mission Log Pod on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. Or you can call us, 323 522 5641. 323 522 5641. You can email us at missionlog at Roddenberry.com. And don't forget to check out our very nice home on the web, MissionLogPodcast.com. Remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log.
2: Ken, if uh, Tribble starts with a T, you know what else starts with a T? <laughs> trivia. <laughs> and that rhymes with
0: Schmivia. Yes. <laughs> yes. John Champions Trivia brought to you by, uh, who's our sponsor this week? Kennel Ration uh, was last week. Uh, well, him, well, week well, it's
2: it's uh, Cyrano Jones Tribble Emporium. Oh, nice. For all your Tribble needs. From down on the Tribble Ranch. <laughs>
0: where the Tribbles go. (laughs) Uh,
2: So, yeah, this week, the uh, fan favorite episode, The Trouble with Tribbles, uh, original draft by David Gerald, who uh, was just a young fan of the show. I think it's so cool that he was just a fan who wanted to get his work out there. And this was his first professional sale, selling the script to Star Trek. Um, He submitted a handful of story ideas. This one, the original draft title, A Fuzzy Thing Happened. Yeah, uh, you get it? Yeah, it. Get it. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, but, so here's the thing. As we do on our show, we have the discovered documents up on the website, and uh, you will be able to read the original draft. A fuzzy thing happened. And there are two little moments that stood out to me. There, there are a, a myriad of different plot details, but there are two great things right at the beginning that I have to point out. Uh, first of all, the first scene in the episode as written takes place in the galley of the Enterprise, and now we've heard about the galley before. Remember, we had that uh, uh, radio call up from uh, from the chef in Charlie X saying all those meatloafs turned into turkeys. And that was the voice of Gene Roddenberry. We all remember that. All right. But I don't think we actually saw the galley until the movies, until Star Trek six. But wow. I, I love that this was written in. Yeah. 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 So I thought that was very cool. Uh, here's another interesting little tidbit. Uh, the beginning of the episode uh, has the premise of the Enterprise going to the interstellar trading post to pick up the mail. <laughs> and, and, and I don't mean to download the mail. I, I don't mean they're going there to, like, get a disk and put it into the library computer. I mean they're literally going to pick up, as described in the, uh, the story draft, the stacks of mail, so I guess even though we have warp drive, we have phasers, we have a library computer, we have all this stuff, you still got to buy stamps in the future.
0: Isn't that fascinating? I mean, there are so many things. It's so funny. I mean, There are so many things that we could wrap our heads around. Like one day we're going to go faster than light. One right. day you're going to be able to beam a guy from this place to that place. Right. And one day there are going to be ships that will take postcards out to the far reaches of the galaxy.
2: (laughs) And then you have to send your ship to that place to go pick up that mail and distribute it. And by that time, that, you know... If it takes a postcard two weeks to get from Europe to the U.S., (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's one of those little details. Like, um, Remember in court martial, I pointed out the script note that uh, it it was originally going to be a a reel-to-reel tape recorder recording the proceedings. And somebody crossed that out on the script and said, no, 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 it's blinking lights. It's a device with blinking lights. So somebody said, no, 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 this is not how it works in the future. So I like that a lot. Um, One of the other things worth mentioning here on the uh, text commentary that Mike and Denise Sakuda did for the DVDs of uh, this episode, they mentioned that in the original effects, this was the last original footage of the Enterprise filmed. So everything, if you're watching the original version, uh, everything that you see after this point was stock footage of the Enterprise. Now, if you're watching the remastered Blu-ray, the TOS-R, Obviously, we have new effects in all the episodes and they created shots of the Enterprise that were not created at that time. Uh, But you can kind of look for it from this point forward and you go, oh, yeah, we saw that shot maybe reversed or maybe, um, you know, a slightly different timing. But all of that stuff was reused from this point forward. Um, And another interesting thing, there were an awful lot of tribbles made for this episode, mostly out of carpet. Um <laughs> oh, Cheng, who is the property master for Star Trek, uh, made about 500. It's estimated about 500. And, of course, they had a huge life of their own after that point. They were kind of grabbed off the set. And a lot of them, uh, particularly in the early 70s and the early Star Trek conventions, got sold. You know, So there were people who bought original screen-used Tribbles. So that's kind of a cool collectible
0: to have. And a lot of people do have those. Well, at least 500. At least. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, uh, before we dive into today's show, mm-hmm. how best do you want to put this? How would you, what would you... Huh?
2: <laughs> You're hesitating, Ken. Well, I'm hesitating I,
0: a tiny bit because it was a little bit of a thing last time, but but we can yeah. explain why we did it. Um, when we first started working on Mission Log, before it even had a name, we, we recorded um, a few shows. Well, actually a couple of shows. And yep. I mean, the thing is, we still remember what we said, <laughs> yeah, right, right, <laughs> because we don't we don't. Well, we don't talk about what we're going to talk about before we get into the show more than like five minutes before we get into the show. We don't actually, you know, share our points with each other because we want to keep it fresh. We want to, you know, have an, a lively discussion.
2: I, I would say that not only do we do that, it's critical that we don't do that. Yeah, like we want to make it live.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, you know where we're going. <laughs> one of the episodes that we used was the trouble with tribbles. And the thing is we both went back and listened to the show in preparation for this record to see if it still held up. And mostly it does. Now I will go ahead and say, there are a couple of things that don't, for example, I say, I don't know if we're just now getting uh Chekhov's nationalism or if we've had it all along. Yeah, we've had it all along, which, which I now remember because I've, you know, watched the last several episodes with Chekhov and everything's from Russia. But aside from little things like that, um, we, we feel like the, the discussion holds up. This is the discussion, at least for me, and I'll let John, I'll let you say for yourself, this for me is the discussion that I would hope that we would have today, um, except we had it a few months ago. And yeah. so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna sort of give way to our past selves. Think of it sort of like an episode of Tomorrow is Yesterday, but different.
2: Right. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. If we went back and watched the episode and rewrote all of our notes, the notes would be the same. Yeah. And then the conversation we would hope wouldn't sound forced. You know, that that's the risk that we would run. Yeah. Uh, so we wanted to keep it fresh. We wanted to keep that original uh, discussion because the, the points are still fresh. And again, that is the whole point of Mission Log. Um, the reason that we don't do this show calling out specific days or uh, the, the year that we're recording or anything like that we want this show to be able to sit on a shelf and be timeless right alongside star trek so you can watch the episode grab the podcast and we're not making timely references to anything and that was the original concept that's how we recorded the sample shows and that's what we have
0: today so as we head into the next segment let me just remind you if you like the show mission at roddenberry.com if you don't like the show Fake email address at com Let us proceed.
1: Welcome to a blend of yesterday and months ago, the second ever episode of Mission Log. And the 44th.
2: Prologue. The Enterprise receives a distress signal from space station K7. This happens a lot. There's a lot of distress in the 23rd century. There are Klingons in the area near Sherman's planet, and K7 is under attack. We better step on it. Act 1. Upon arriving at the station, Kirk and Spock discover that there is no real emergency. They're merely being asked to guard over a large shipment of special grain. Specifically, it's Quadro-Triticale, which is a wheat rye hybrid intended as a food source on a planet that's being used as a political football by the Federation and the Klingons. Not too happy about the demands from Federation paper-pusher Niels Barris, Kirk gives in and just assigns a couple of guards. In the meantime, Cyrano Jones, a trader of questionable moral character, shows up with a pet. The Tribble, as he calls it, is a little furball that is the very manifestation of love. Uhura is immediately taken by its softness and delightful purring. She just can't live without one. Things start to turn sour, though, when a ship full of Klingons show up and demand shore leave. Kirk gives in to this as well, but stipulates that he will assign a Federation guard for every Klingon who beams down to K-7. Act 2. Uhura has taken her Tribble back to the Enterprise. The Tribbles, it turns out, don't serve much purpose other than being cute, eating everything in sight, and reproducing at an alarming rate. Pretty soon, the Enterprise is overrun by the creatures, but let's face it, it's an adorable kind of infestation. Humans, and at least one Vulcan, by the way, are sweet on Tribbles, up to a point, and the Tribbles return the affection by doing what Tribbles do, i.e. purring and rolling around. Klingons and Tribbles, however, do not get along at all. More on that later. Back on K7, Shore Leave is going from tense to worse. When a Klingon officer starts needling Scotty about Captain Kirk's faults, the engineer is alright at keeping his temper in check. When the mocking turns of the Enterprise herself, an all-out bar brawl ensues. A long bar brawl. Act 3. Scotty and the rest of the crew involved are dressed down by Kirk, and Scotty finally cops to throwing the first punch. The triple appetite has not just made life difficult on the Enterprise, it has also gotten the better part of the shipment of Quadro Triticale on K7. Almost every storage compartment is now full of tribbles, exactly the kind of thing to cause comedic interlude involving tribbles falling on the captain's head. Act 4. What's worse than Kirk's embarrassment, the innocent little fuzzballs are starting to die. It is deduced that the grain has been poisoned and an investigation is launched to find out why and who did it. Assembled in K7's administrator's office, Kirk attempts to get to the bottom of the Tribble death while saving face with the Klingons over the contended planet nearby. On removing the Tribbles from that very room, a few of them freak out in high-pitched shrieking when close to Niels Barris' assistant Arnie Darvin. Now, remember how I mentioned that Tribbles love everyone except for Klingons, and how the feeling is mutual? It turns out that Darwin is a Klingon agent in disguise as a human, and he is the one responsible for poisoning the grain, all in an attempt to wrestle control of Sherman's planet away from the Federation and into the hands of the Klingon Empire. With the mystery solved and peace somewhat restored, Kirk and crew return to the Enterprise after sentencing Cyrano Jones to the task of ridding K-7 of all tribbles, a task that will take nearly 18 years. All those Tribbles on the Enterprise, well, they were rounded up somehow, and Scotty cleverly beamed them over to the Klingon ship at the last minute. Tribbles, as we mentioned, are a huge fan favorite, and uh, of all the things that have had a long life in Star Trek, Tribbles keep showing up for follow-up appearances. Uh, David Gerald, who wrote the show, wrote an animated series follow-up called More Troubles, More Tribbles. Of course, Deep Space Nine did their big Tribble episode. And then even in J.J. Abrams' Star Trek from 2009, there is a cameo from a Tribble on Scotty's desk. You see, I did not remember that at all. Uh, you have to look for it. Uh, it's kind of in a little cage, and and he kind of makes a little purring, chirping noise, and I think Scotty kind of pushes it out of the way. Oh, oh, and I almost forgot to mention that uh, in Enterprise, Dr. Flox is actually using
0: tribbles as food for one of his pets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they're, they're fairly accessible, right? And, yeah. they, and they don't take, I mean, I, and I, I mean, no not any any offense, they don't take a lot of work. I mean, it, it, they, I they're, they're balls of fur on screen. Yeah, right. All right. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're halfway um, to a show. So
2: can we talk a little bit about Scotty here before we get into our uh, discussion?
0: (laughs) Which part do you want to talk about?
2: (laughs) Well, so Scotty, like the Tribbles, is kind of a fan favorite. You know, he's kind of rough around the edges and he likes to have a drink or two. Um, and he kind of says what 's on his mind and, and I think this episode more than a lot really solidifies his character like every now and then you 've seen him on the enterprise pouring a, a little shot for himself uh but in this he he really gets down to the to the hard drinking and actually into a bar brawl and <laughs> uh and then defends himself to Kirk even after he cops to what he 's done and I think is hilarious I, I I think that that joke. Kind of plays itself out for a while, yeah. But I love their exchange.
0: Yeah, I you know you mentioned Scotty's drinking, and honestly, it didn't come across to me as being that hardcore in this episode. But seriously, one of my favorite things ever, and I think about it every time I have too much to drink the night before, um, <laughs> is from uh, is from Ratha Khan when uh, when the first time uh, Kirk runs into Scotty and says, uh, "How are you?" and Scotty says, "I had a wee bout, sir, but Doctor McCoy pulled me through." Right, a wee bout. Surely, Admiral. Yeah, <laughs> sort of – I didn't really – but, yeah, I mean, it, it, he is he – is, you do – I mean, there's a lot more to him in this episode. You're right. I mean, you get just intense devotion to what it is he does, which I think we're probably going to hit a little bit more in a bit. Uh, intense devotion to, uh, to his captain and crew. I mean, to an extent. I mean, to, mm-hmm. to his crew especially. And, uh, well, we'll get to the part about the captain in a bit. Also, <laughs> uh, just uh, seriously, if you've got an extermination issue – If you've got an infestation, if rodents are your problem, uh, Scotty is your solution.
2: You can do a lot worse than call Scotty. So (laughs) did he correct me if I'm wrong here? Yeah. Kirk Kirk is is shocked when he thinks that Scotty beamed all the tribbles just out into open
0: space where surely they will die. And Scotty is also shocked that Kirk would even think him capable of such a thing.
2: Exactly. But no, he didn't do that. He's not totally heartless. He beamed all the tribbles onto a Klingon ship. Now, haven't we already established that tribbles hate Klingons and Klingons hate tribbles? I I believe we have, yes. And Klingons, I think, don't have quite the heart to, uh, to go out of their way to dump a bunch of tribbles into a safe habitat. So I'm just going to go ahead and assume that this did not end well for the Tribbles.
0: There's your fan fiction, though. Let's 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 assume that they hate <laughs> them so much that they can't kill them, but they want to go ahead and you know try to do something with them. Mm-hmm. And so maybe they go and they find a Romulan ship.
2: Oh yeah, okay. And beam, and beam them onto the Romulans,
0: up. and the Romulans are what? And then right. they go and find you know a Ferengi, yep, a cruiser, yep. and eventually maybe it ends up back on the Enterprise.
2: This is sort of like a bad greeting card that gets you know, <laughs> re-signed and mailed around. <laughs> All right. Cool. I like that. Hey, and one other show note here. Uh, that's a long fight scene. Oh, man. Man. I mean, it, you I'm know, pretty sure see... that fight
0: scene is still going on right now.
2: <laughs> it is. We, so we've seen uh, Kirk and Spock have it out in a show like Amok Time. And that's a good, you know, pretty much the entire third act is that yeah. fight. But this, this is an intense
0: fight scene. Well, I mean, it's a ballet of sorts. I mean, you had people is? sort of like, you know, wandering through uh, what mm-hmm. like when Cyrano Jones is carrying his drink through. It's it's, you know, it's cute. Right. So I, I, I know why they did it, I think. Well, I can I can guess a couple of reasons. But yeah, it was right. it was it was it was a relief to see the nine or ten Federation guys come in to break up that fight.
2: <laughs> right. Right. Right.
0: True story. Tribbles were
1: inspired by dust bunnies David Gerald saw in a hotel room. By the way, that is not a true story.
2: You know, the first thing that I thought of, and, I, and I've read this kind of over and over, and I know that David Gerald talked about it in his book about writing this episode, is that he was inspired by the story of rabbits being brought to Australia. And with no natural predators in a period of just a few years, Australia had this massive rabbit problem
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, Fortunately, rabbit is very tasty uh i don 't know if uh if you 've ever enjoyed it but
0: um i 've had it yeah i don 't know if i 'd go so far as to say i 've enjoyed it i haven 't yeah, had I mean, it at a fine restaurant I had it at a at a family member of a family member cooked it oh okay, yeah, okay.
2: <laughs> Uh, uh, we'll, we'll fix that sometime. Right. Um, but uh, so I think that there is probably an ecological message here, at least uh, an ecological, uh, you know, tip of the hat to uh, a real world, earthbound problem. When that happened,
0: <laughs> well, and a real world, earthbound problem that you know persists today. If you, you know, it can't get down to Australia to accidentally step on the rabbits that are all over the place, go to Georgia. <laughs> go what's to what's going on in Georgia? The kudzu. We, Ooh, were, we were given uh, a gift uh, by the Japanese government, I want to say, in um, the 70s, early 70s, maybe, because erosion was a problem in Georgia. And mm-hmm. I may be totally m- muffing this story, but I do know that we were given a gift of kudzu where kudzu was a great way to sort of stop erosion. And it turns out it's not a bad way to stop erosion. The problem is in the Georgia climate, it's also a great way to overrun your uh, landscape. Yeah. And it really is kind of fascinating if you drive down the interstate and in, uh, in Georgia in particular, and I'm assuming other parts of the South. Um, oh, we we one in
2: Alabama too. Absolutely. Do you? Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, you'll you'll see where like buildings that are no longer used are also no longer visible because they're now you know covered over by kudzu, and it's just it's 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 sort of the same ecological message. It's just you know plant instead of animal. I mean, at least like you say, at least rabbits are good eaten. Yeah. Right. Kudzu is you know. Well, okay. Yeah. You used used to be able to see buildings and trees and phone poles, and not that you want to see telephone poles necessarily, but kudzu is just a ridiculously invasive plant, and kind of the same uh, thing with the triples. Yeah,
2: very true. And uh, the message there is that kind of if you take that element out of its natural habitat, import it, introduce it into a new place, and you have no idea what the uh, outcome will be, then you can wreak some serious ecological havoc. yeah,
0: that. Which, um, at the same time, it was good that they didn't hit us over the head with it. I mean, mm-hmm. they sort of, you know, they did sort of, like, did sort of the you see, Timmy, at the end of it with No <laughs> Jones <laughs> right. when they're like, didn't you think something would happen if the things that eat tribbles weren't around to eat tribbles? You know, it's right. sort of like, yeah, good point that. Thank you. But it wasn't. Yes. I mean, there's definitely an eco-theme to the episode, but not not a, it's not like an episode of Captain Planet. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, there's a, there's a continuing story all the way through.
2: Right. So, yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I think he uh, he kind of nailed it there without being too terribly heavy-handed because again the the show is very heavily relying on comedy uh, for yeah. for better or for worse, um, and, and I think that. Watching, particularly watching like uh, uh, the Blu-ray and seeing commentary and comments from other people who worked on the show, you know, for the most part, they were all very proud of it, saying, "Well, yeah, Star Trek kind of got to step out of itself for a moment and have some fun, mm-hmm. but still be true to the characters." Um, but there are people who said in retrospect that uh, that, that they weren't such big fans. You know, uh, Bob Justman, the late Bob Justman, and I believe. Um, I believe Freddie Friedberger, who was producer on the show, they both said that eh, well you know th- this is really not our favorite because it was too funny, and they felt like the characters were doing a parody of themselves
0: I got, you know I got to be honest though when we when we talked about doing uh, when we knew this episode was coming up mm-hmm. I, I had trepidation i had i don 't want to go so far as to say fear, but I thought <sighs> Okay, it's just going to be funny and it's going to be goofy, but how are we going to pull a message out of this? And there are actually, mm-hmm. there are actually, quite a few. I think. I mean, there is the eco message first of all. Yep. Um, there's also. I'm skipping around. I'm skipping down. I'm going places that we said we were going to go later. But there's this Dude. fascinating. There's this fascinating thing going on to me about um, a, a, a nationalism versus racism versus. I don't want to say versus pragmatism, but maybe it's nationalism and racism versus pragmatism in a way. Mm. Um, there's this thing that goes on. You said that we learn a lot about Scotty. Yeah. In this episode. And we do. I don't know if we're learning it because I, I lose track. I don't know if we're learning this about Chekhov or if we're just having this reintroduced to us about Chekhov. But when you talk to Chekhov, everything was invented by Russians. If you're talking <laughs> with Chekhov, it turns out talking was invented by Russians. Everything right. that happens is, you know, is invented by Russians. Now, there's this neat thing. If you go back and think about where we were, what's this episode was what? Sixty seven. Sixty yeah.
2: seven. OK, so in
0: 1967, we're not we're only six years out from the Cuban Missile Crisis at that point. Now, six years is a long time, especially in the 60s, because from 1960 to 1969, so much on the planet changed. But we're still I mean, there's still an Iron Curtain. There's still a Soviet Union. There's still a fear in a lot of parts of the country, if not over the whole country. Not as bad as it was in the late 50s and early 60s, but there's still a fear of communism. And yet here is this guy driving the enterprise, this Mm -hmm. Russian driving the enterprise, which is an excellent, an excellent message. It says, we're going to get past where we are right now. Eventually, we're all going to be friends. Now, um, Chekhov is comical (laughs) and he's useless in that, you know, 10 minute fight in the bar. But I mean, still, we get past where we are, which is kind of neat. Yeah. Um, there there's, there's a similar message in a way, I think, well, it, it's kind of throwaway. But at the very beginning, we find out, and I think you mentioned it, that, that both the Federation and the Klingons are, are trying to get control of Sherman's planet. But they're not trying to get control like, OK, we're going to bomb you or we're going to shoot you or we're going to bring in nine cruisers. What they each have to do is make their case for why they should be the ones to be allowed to develop the planet. Right. And, it, it, and I'll,
2: I'll, I'll interrupt here just very, very briefly for a little Star Trek geeky footnote. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the Organian Treaty. Uh, there was an episode prior to this called Errand of Mercy when a uh, uh, a much more advanced, almost kind of godlike race called the Organians who were very peaceful, um, kind of pitted the, the Klingons and the Federation against each other and said, okay, well, e- you know, one of your tests will be whoever can develop a planet more efficiently. So that that's kind of what this comes from.
0: And so, uh, and Kirk right in talking the whole thing over, Kirk says, you know, we may not like the way the Klingons do things, <laughs> mm-hmm. but they're very efficient at developing planets. Well, it's kind of interesting to me that, you know, we could know that that there have been right. that many, but I mean Kirk right up at the front. I mean, we know that the Federation's and the and the Klingons the Klingons, the Klingons, whichever. Uh, we know that they aren't, you know, fast friends. Uh, they do say that there's been no open hostility declared between them at that point, but they're not. They're not palsy. But right. at the same time, Kirk is able to sit right up there at the very beginning and say, "Yeah, you know, they're really good at this." So yeah. we gotta we gotta kind of be good at it too.
2: Well, see, I, I did kind of pick up um, though that I, I feel like in the immediate reaction to the appearance of the Klingons is is a little uh, kind of knee jerk racism there. I think, you know, and, and Kirk just immediately assumes that he has authority over who's on that ship and what they're allowed to do. Um, so I, I don't know. I feel like it's a little bit uh, unfair, hmm. um, seeing as how, well, if this Sherman's planet is really there for either of them to develop, um, that he, he's just sort of assuming, well, th- this is going to end in a fight no matter what happens. <laughs> you know,
0: <laughs> That's interesting. I don't know. I don't know. That hadn't really occurred to me. I mean, I, I, there really does seem to me to be a message of pragmatism as opposed to racism or nationalism through the whole thing, which I know sounds mm-hmm. crazy. It sounds like I'm, I'm digging too far, but I really well, did, no, but- I did. I really did feel like that was there in a few ways. At the same time, I mean, Kirk is still Kirk. Yeah. You know. So I mean, he's used to. I mean, he he does. What, what did the Klingon say? He's swaggering, whatever it was. Yeah. Right. Duh. Right. I mean, no wonder Scotty didn't throw a punch at that. Have you seen Kirk? Right. I mean, he right. he has a little bit of a swagger. That's that's how he became, you know, one of the youngest, if not the youngest, uh, captain of a of a starship. Okay. Right. Yeah. I mean, he you know he swings some serious phaser, if you know what I mean. Oh, hey, watch <laughs> out! <laughs> but but at, at, the same, show. at the same at the same time, he did. I mean, he you know this was not a cheat to win episode. This was not the mm-hmm. Kobayashi Maru. This was not you know this was this was. You know, we've got to we've got to really bring our a game because they've got an a game and they're bringing it too. it seemed like Mm -hmm. no question. He doesn't like the Klingons, but I mean, he's not I, I think to say racism might take it a tiny bit far because he's still able to deal with them. He's still able to he's still able to work around them. He's not he's not kicking them off. He's not sabotaging anything. He's just he's not necessarily happy.
2: Right, right. Uh, and maybe I'm, I'm tempering this with my, uh, my vision of Kirk from the later movies who um, Oh, yeah. Who basically just said, you know, let them die.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. They're, sure. they're Klingons. Yeah. It's an evolving, or, it's an evolving relationship. Is, <laughs> or, a, or a devolving relationship, I mean, depending yeah. on how you look at it. I know yeah, this I gotta, was explained I, I, forgive me, because it's been a while since I've seen the episode. I know this was explained in Deep Space Nine, but how do we go from the Klingons basically just looking like rejects from a 1974 disco? <laughs> to we've got the bulky heads. We've got the long hair. I know. I know it's been explained, but I I, I forget. What's What's well, the answer to that?
2: Yeah, just very quickly. Uh, Worf actually had a great uh, response to that uh, earlier on in the subsequent uh, series, to saying we don't talk about it. Enterprise actually tried to address it and say that there was some uh, genetic experimentation going on and you had uh, some Klingons who had the smooth foreheads and others who did not. Uh, And now the the real answer to that is that when they finally had a budget to make Star Trek the motion picture, (laughs) Gene Roddenberry said, awesome, we get to make Klingons look cool now. Well, uh, let's get more into that uh, topic that you brought up about uh, nationalism, racism, pragmatism, Mm -hmm. because I kind of like where you're going with that. The idea that Scotty, um, he's sitting there just taking it from this Klingon. Well, he's and, not
0: – that's sort of the interesting thing, right? He's not taking it. I mean they're – what's his name? Chekhov. Forgive me. What's his name? He's ready to go. Like the second the Klingons walk in, yeah. he's ready. He's he's but, ready but, to fight.
2: But, but even even after a few drinks in him, Scotty is cool. He He's just y- y- telling Chekhov to calm
0: down. It's right. OK. We can handle this. Right, Because um, he, because he mm-hmm. because they haven't hit him yet. Right. I mean they're they're hitting humanity but that's okay. I mean Scotty's human and he can't help being human. He was born human. That's
2: fine. And and his crewmates. So he's talking about his captain.
0: Yep. And, and but that's okay terms. because yeah. again that's nothing that Scotty can do anything about. His captain mm-hmm. is his captain. Now I do believe that Scotty likes Kirk. I do believe that they are, you know, friends and that he would, you know, follow him into mm-hmm. hell to to you know do whatever he has to do. But again, you know, when they start what are they and slime devil? Right, <laughs> yes, it's what they yes. call Kirk. They compare him to that, and scotty 's like yeah, it 's not really cool, and and Chekhov is seriously just chomping at the bit to beat up these guys because now they 've insulted humans they 've insulted his lead human in particular, his alpha mm-hmm. dog right. and uh, it 's not until they insult the enterprise, and this is this to me is kind of interesting it 's almost like there's there 's a, a sub message of what 's more important, what you are or what you 're born into, or what you choose to do with what you 've got because yeah. what Scotty has chosen to do is be an engineer and to run the enterprise and keep it together and when they insult what he's chosen to do then right. then it's Katie bar the door then it's we're going to fight for about 17 minutes pal <laughs> start the <laughs> clock <laughs> right. and and I mean and that's and there's 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 a comical moment later where you mentioned it when when Kirk finds out that Scotty threw the first punch He's a little. He's obviously a little offended that it wasn't, you know, calling him a Denebrian, Denebian slime devil, whichever slime devil, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, he's sort of bothered that that wasn't got Scotty to throw the first punch. But I mean, there actually. I mean, there actually does seem to be a message even there to me that you mm-hmm. know, yeah, fine, call me, call me that name, call me that thing, call me whatever it is, and and you know, where it's a Klingon, then just you know, referring to humans and a. Derogatory way is racism at that point, but right. he's not going to be phased by the racism because that's just ignorance that's just stupidity, and it has nothing to do with with who Montgomery Scott has chosen to be right. when, when you go after what Montgomery Scott has chosen to be, well dude, you better get ready to hold up your dukes for a while because we're going to fight for a very long time. <laughs>
2: Well, and going back to this idea about solidifying who Scotty is and uh, and what he stands for, that, yeah, he, he can take just about anything. Um, but we see time and time again that he has poured his lifeblood into the ship, that he's the one who stays behind when there's trouble. Right. Uh, maybe except for Wrath of Khan. Um and and he's the one who knows every inch of the ship.
0: He didn't even um, want to go. He didn't even want to go on shore leave. I mean, that's another way that it right. sort of solidifies his character. He he had no interest in shopping, uh, which mm-hmm. Uhura does uh, did. Uh, he had no interest in drinking. At least on on board K seven, uh, what he was really interested in doing was staying there and reading his technical journals. Right. And when right. he is later confined to his quarters for starting the fight. He he perks up and says, "Great, I can catch up on my technical journals." <laughs> exactly. He's, I mean, he is he is what he does, yeah. Which is, eh, I don't know. There are people who say you'll never you'll never be on your deathbed saying, "I wish I had spent more time at work." One wonders if that would be true for Montgomery Scott.
2: I, I think it uh, it may not be. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, now you also kind of mentioned to me uh, in your notes about this about how that may kind of indicate what happens at the end of the episode where uh, Scotty is able to overcome the Tribbles, even though the Tribbles are everywhere on board the ship. So I don't know how a ship as big as the Enterprise is now swept clean of all Tribbles. (laughs) Um, But but Scotty, this is going to take 18 years to clean up K-7, but Scotty, give him a couple hours, and uh, he's good (laughs) to go. Um, Regardless of the fact that the Tribbles are the most adorable, lovable, and loving little critters in the universe. Yeah. I don't. I don't know
0: if I buy that though. I think yeah. there's. I think there's a there's a there's a nearly narcotic effect that the Tribbles have on people, and it's not just from being cute. You're confusing them with Smurfs if you think that's the case. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, I always get the two confused. What's his name? And and that's how I refer to all characters. I don't know. It's also how I refer to my best <laughs> friend. So don't worry about it. <laughs> right. uh, Spock. It, mm-hmm. When he first takes the triples, says uh, something to the effect of uh, the, the, the their trilling has a calming effect on the human nervous system.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then, you know, it's obvious that he's being taken by it because, of course, he's half human. And then he says, but luckily, I'm, you know, I'm immune. I, I'm not affected by it. He puts the triple down. and He walks away um, towards the end of the episode. I guess yeah, three quarters end of the episode. There are literally triples hanging from the wall. In the cafeteria, yeah. there are literally triples hanging from the wall and all over every console on the enterprise
2: and, and they're on your food when you get it out of yeah. the, uh, the little dispenser yeah guys,
0: guys are playing that you know multiplaner 3d chess game and there are triples mm-hmm. on the board on yeah. the, on the, which which I you know playing regular chess it would be difficult. Right. So, you know, <laughs> right. adding the levels, I think it's just got to be mucking up the game entirely. And yet mm-hmm. nobody really seems to care that much. Uh, Kirk is a little bothered, but he doesn't yeah. really care that much. And so I think, I mean, it's obvious that the calming effect that it has on the nervous system is, you know, is, is what allows them to, to be everywhere and everything. Um, but again, the only – when, when, when finally enough is enough is when it affects – Kirk and what he's chosen to do, be captain of the Enterprise, because now it's getting impossible to run his ship because there are so many Tribbles. And that sort of snaps him out of his almost, you know, uh, drug-induced haze around the Tribbles. And at almost the exact same moment, Scotty comes onto the bridge carrying an armload of Tribbles because they're in the engine room or they're in the engine. He's found them now in the machinery. He's guessing – oh, that's right. They weren't on the bridge. They were in the uh – I can't remember where they were, but he's guessing they're in all the food replicators. Yep. He figures they're everywhere now, and so again, what he's chosen to do, who both of them, what they've chosen to do, and who they've chosen to be, once even something that that has a has a has a an effect on 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 the way the human body works. Mm-hmm. I mean, once mm-hmm. it starts messing with that, then they're like you know, then it's then they snap out of it. So then, I guess the one thing I don't know is. I mean it's almost like it, it's not a work ethic but it's 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 almost like a like being who you choose to be or being what you choose to be. It yeah. Almost seems to be like an underlying message for this whole thing that that is going to define you more than anything else can, more than your location, more than your surroundings, more than, you know, what you were born into. What you choose to be at that point is going to be the biggest uh the biggest force in your life, I suppose, which yeah. which sounds crazy to go from the trouble with troubles <laughs> to that, but I think I mean that that really maybe that's I mean that that might be like the the biggest takeaway and the most important takeaway at least you know from this episode.
2: I, I think we're just both surprised that it took that long to get to that point because you think that at some point. Kirk, or Spock, since he's unaffected by this, is is just going to walk through and say, no, seriously, get these tribbles out of here. I'm done with tribbles, all right? (laughs) You know? Yeah, that
0: would be um, Spock's human side shining through again. Okay, seriously.
1: (laughs) Decades later, are tribbles things from which we can learn, or are they just trouble not worth getting into?
0: Well, at the end of every one of these episodes, we ask ourselves a few questions about the episode that we just watched or that we watched a while ago and then that we just talked about. And the questions that we ask are things like, does this episode hold up? What were the messages, morals and meanings? What have you? I'm willing to stick with the, you know, be what you want to be rather than what you were born into and the eco thing. I mean, I guess there could be a message for kids in that, but I don't know.
2: Well, you know, I, I say it in jest because I, I honestly <laughs> – How about uh, how
0: about cute's only cute for so long? That's a good right? message for children.
2: <laughs> That's not bad. That's not <laughs> bad. But you know what? Here's the thing though. Star Trek has these episodes where you kind of look at it and go, is this geared toward kids mm-hmm. or is this for adults? And I think this one is is kind of hard to peg because it, it, it has the cute factor and I think kids do respond to the humor of it. Um but there's a lot of adult stuff going on here too. You've got drinking. You've got fighting. Um, you you had this very interesting topic that you picked up on right away about the, the, the identity being tied more toward what you choose to do than who you are.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and and I, I don't think that's necessarily for kids. You know, Maybe some, some kids will enjoy a 15-minute uh, long fight scene.
0: Um, who doesn't I love but, fighting? Oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe though, you could think of this in a way. And, I mean, if you're trying to reconcile is this for kids or is this for adults, maybe you can think of this as the Bugs Bunny episode. I mm. mean, Bugs Bunny cartoons were not necessarily originally meant for kids. But if you go back and watch them, yeah. I mean, even having watched them as kids, if you go back and watch them, they work on both levels. So kids yeah. can watch it and think, oh, that's cute. Oh, that's scary. Oh, neat, wheat. You know, yeah. <laughs> kids <laughs> can, kids can can get what they get out of it. But I mean, there there's certainly. Uh, I mean, there are other levels that uh, if you go a little bit deeper, you find some some deeper stuff. And and still, I'm stymied. I'm I'm absolutely stymied that you know we're able to get those kinds of things from uh, the trouble with troubles.
2: Does the message or do the messages plural? hold up here, you know, and is that message at all obscured by the comedy of the episode?
0: Ah, that's an interesting question. (laughs) I mean, maybe take the messages one at a time. The eco message, I think definitely, if you're talking about the ecological message, uh, yes, I would say that that definitely still stands, assuming Mm -hmm. that you think that humans have the ability to affect anything on the planet, which I know is Mm -hmm. not a universally held belief, but... um, I mean yeah that one definitely uh, still stands.
2: Yep. And I agree entirely with you. I I think the the comedy still may obscure a little bit of it. Um uh it, not necessarily that message but um going back to this interesting idea about uh uh identity and that being tied to what you choose to do and your your occupation and what you sort of pour your heart into. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's a very subtle thing. It's a very subtle uh, uh, place to look for that in the episode. But when Scotty does it um, and you pick up on it, as you did, uh, I think it's pretty brilliant. That one might get obscured a bit by that comedy factor, uh, particularly after his exchange with Kirk. Um, But I think it's a good message
0: to find in there. So does that one stand the test of time? I, I I think I have to go yes and no, on mm. that one. And, and I know which is weird because I was the one that brought it up. If you mm-hmm. want to take the, it doesn't matter. You know where you were born. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. It's not about where you came from. It's about you know what you are and where you're going. It's about what you want to do. Then yes, I would say that that message still stands. On the other hand, there's there's probably. Basing yourself entirely on your work, basing yourself entirely on what you do, is probably a heart attack waiting to happen. <laughs> so, I mean, if, if if you are exactly what you do, I mean, dude, I I a million years ago used to work in radio. Yep, radio is a very very difficult thing at this point. It's a hard thing to get into, and I was never one of like the top ten percent. So, if I if I base myself entirely on that it would have nothing to even do with me necessarily it would have to do with consolidation it would have to do with automation it would have to do with a whole bunch of other things that might make that more difficult to get into and this is true especially as we go where we are technologically today what if you were the best librarian in the world and mm-hmm. and libraries are having to cut their hours and so they're having to reduce their staffs and so through no fault of your own just through you know changes you are no longer allowed to be that thing or you're no longer able to you know sort of ply yourself in that trade right um or managing bookstores or you know managing video stores or whatever right. i mean there are so many things that are changing now I mean, to marry yourself entirely to what you do or what you've chosen to do might not be the best thing in any given time at the same time uh, to allow yourself to 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 grow yourself to be that to be what you want to be regardless of what's you know things that should have theoretically held you back well, I mean, it's, maybe, it, it's a yes and it, to me, it's a yes and no. Well, maybe sometimes, Ken, that's why you just
2: reach for that big bottle of scotch. <laughs> As does Scotty in this episode. Uh, scotch, was,
0: scotch was invented by an old woman living in uh,
2: Leningrad. Leningrad. Thank you very <laughs> right. much. That's right. <laughs> Um, You know, I'm going to answer the question, does the episode stand a test of time? I I think the messages do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll answer the the follow-up question about the episode as a whole. Uh, Does it stand the test of time? And I I think it does. Uh, I I think that, like I said earlier, this is sort of gateway Star Trek. So if you had to sit somebody down in front of the TV and say, all right, I'm going to introduce you to what makes Star Trek good – and I'm going to create kind of a, a short list of episodes. I think this would be in there. It wouldn't be my number one, but it would probably be in my top five or ten, um, along with you know some of the other greats, obviously, like City on the Edge of Forever. Uh, but just kind of to, to give you an idea of who the characters are, how funny they can be in their interactions. And, um, yeah, there are some technical terms and some made-up jargon like, Quadra Triticale, uh but it, it's unnecessary to get the enjoyment out of the episode so I think overall the episode really does hold up
0: so then I guess our answers uh, from you are yes, yes and from me uh, yes, yes and no and yes <laughs>
2: alright <laughs> well for those of you keeping score then uh, you'll have to mark that up for Ken <laughs>
0: Yeah, we got to get scorecards out to people, too. Yes. So that does it, I guess, for this week. Um, really just nuts. You know, there's not much meat on a treble. But <laughs> but there was certainly a lot of meat in the trouble with trebles. And so, uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Next week, the gamesters of Triskelion. And until next time, K7 is closed.
1: of the music for the mission log provided by warp 11 online at warp 11.com and from the album messages by key theory free to download at k i i'm a tiny bit worried for the klingons let's hope scotty sent a note with the tribbles not to get them wet or feed them after midnight And transmission. Now leaving Nerdist.com.